Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to another edition of Beyond the Cover. I'm one of your co-hosts, John Robb, joined here by Mr. Ayers. Jeff, how are you doing? Doing great. I can't believe that tomorrow is the start of May already. Gee. I know. May first, man. It's going so first, fast. First third of the year gone, just like that. Man, unbelievable. I know pretty soon we're going to be talking about uh, Thanksgiving or Halloween, and then here's the best of stuff, and then it's going to be all right there. I mean, <clears throat> Heck, we we haven't even reached like 70 degrees, and I'm like, it's May 1st. Um, is summer going to come like any time? Like, are we going to, you know, going to be 80 here soon? <laughs> well, I, I was going to say it's uh, high 60s here today and beautiful. Yeah, I, yeah, that's good yeah. for you guys. Oh, yeah, definitely. Good for you guys. But <laughs> I guess, you know, technically the start of the summer is like Memorial Day weekend. You know, that's when the pools are open and Everything's full bore, so I guess we still got a, you know maybe a month left, but it's only not that cold here, so that's a little different. Well, I was gonna say the summer officially started though, movie-wise with Avengers, so we'll yeah. talk about that at some point. Yeah, 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 no spoilers yet because uh, the movie has just come out. We'll say one thing though, uh, like I just told the person at my um, at uh, my office, and she hadn't seen it yet. She's seeing it this Saturday. She goes, "Don't tell her anything." I said, "All I'm gonna tell you is this." It's an ending, and it's sad, and you'll be very satisfied when it's over. <clears throat> I would 100% agree with that. Yeah. Yep. I'm not going to say where it ranks, where I think, how I think, if I liked it, didn't like it. I'm just going to say it's an ending. You know the movies are done, and you'll be satisfied when you leave. And, oh, here is one spoiler. I'll tell you this. You don't have to wait around because there ain't no credits. There ain't no post credits there's nothing there there's just nothing there there's an audio cue actually at the very yeah. end but it's not worth staying for yeah no it's no it's you don't see anything there's nothing there so you you can get up right you it's can an leave. audio cue. you have to go to the bathroom you don't have to wait for the credits anymore you can get up and you can go home because there's nothing <laughs> left <clears throat> you know. right but spider-man uh far from home is coming out later this year so there is still another marvel movie coming out and i know that dr strange is going to be made again um, Black Panther is going to be Guardians made. 3. Black Widow is going to be made. Who? Guardians three. Guardians three is going to be made. Um, I heard there's <clears throat> there's possible talk of a Thor four, I, but I don't know that for sure. We know that Iron Man and Captain America, um, Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans said they're not going to do their roles anymore, so I don't see any of them on the horizon. <clears throat> um, well, well, if they get uh, certain incentives, I'm sure they would come and do it again. Yeah, they probably could. I, I, you and know, no, we're not spoiling anything, them, folks. And, no, sometimes you give them a five-year, six-year break, <clears throat> and then they're like, okay, you know, you're going to do something again? Okay, yeah, I'll be a part of it. You know, depending on how their career is going or what's going on, maybe they just want to kind of jump back in. It's kind of like a band. You know, after a while, you're like, oh, I'm kind of done touring. We're going to relax for a little while, and then about six years later, it's like they're revving the engines back up again, you know, so... <clears throat> you never know. Right. Yeah. Because I guarantee if they tried to do it without it 
and didn't include them in it, they would be really pissed, even though you look at them and say, well, you're the ones who walked away from it, not us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And once again, no Marvel spoilers movies. there, folks. No. no there, um, there are still more Marvel movies coming, though. So um, I did see yeah. one called The Eternals, so I'm not really sure what that's about, but that's, that's one that's been in the works, too. I don't know if it's going to be an animated one. It very well could be. Um, an animated movie, and if you guys don't know about those, <clears throat> I know that they, I know that it's animated, but animation is not what it used to be. <clears throat> and <clears throat> excuse me, Spider-Man: There's Far From Home proves that. Yeah, uh, no, not Far From Home. Uh, Spidey Universe. Oh, sorry, in the Spider Verse. That's what I meant. Yeah, in the Spider Verse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Far yeah. From Home is going to be yeah. a live action, but the that's um, correct. You know, the animation is not like, yeah, it's not Snow White and Alice in Wonderland and stuff like that anymore, people. I mean, the animation and the storylines that they have now, you really don't know you're watching a cartoon sometimes. You really don't. And and if you're curious, it adds more to the story. There's a movie called um, Planet Hulk that's amazing. If if you like, it's the best Hulk movie ever made. (laughs) Really? By far. Oh yeah, it's okay. Planet Hulk. It's the best. It's it's the best. It's the best Hulk movie ever made by far. <clears throat> a live action or non live action, best Hulk movie ever made. And so you can watch those, and it adds to the stories. I mean, it you know it, it just adds more. You can get more in depth. I think, and I told somebody this. I think Marvel does better on the live action movies. I think DC does a lot better on the animated movies. <clears throat> I, I would agree with that, except uh, I think Marvel's starting to turn it around now. Well, well Sony's part of it anyway. Yeah, but uh, they got a while to catch up because uh, oh, there's, course, there's a couple course. new, you know, there's a couple new. Um, what is it? The laughing? Is it the Joker one? The laughing joke? <clears throat> and that's right. Um, Gotham by Gaslight. Those two right there alone are insane. Cool. Um, okay, <clears throat> but we got a great show for you tonight. We are, uh, we, we, I recorded an interview. Jeff was unable to make it, and it is with author Chris Frieswick, and she wrote a book called The Ghost Manuscript. Jeff, were you able to, did you review that one? I have not. Um, I didn't review it yet either, so it just came out, I think like a week and a half ago. But it's an extremely cool book, and I have read different reviews and people's things, uh, people's um, like reviews from it. And it's, they're very intrigued with it. So I would definitely make sure you want to check this out Um, again. So author Chris Frieswick and you ready, Jeff? And we're going to see you guys in a couple weeks too. So we'll be back. All right. Sounds good. All All right. right. And I think we got a Chris Pavone interview to play. Uh, We still got that left. I think that that's probably the next one that we do. So. Yeah, and that's coming out All next right. week, so yeah, we've got to get that. Yep. Yeah, let me, uh, there it is. And here we go, everybody. <laughs> we'll see you guys all, all right, in two take weeks. Care. All right, bye-bye. Here we go. So hello, everybody, uh, and I am so pleased that I am here to, for the first time, speak with author Chris Frieswick and to talk about her newest book, debut book, The Ghost Manuscript. Um, I got an email about this book from her publicist, and she caught me from the first line. She kind of knows my keywords. And as soon as she says, hey, John, this is about King Arthur's tomb, I was like, oh, that's me. got to have it, so send that one over. Um, 
And so I was like, hey, you know, we got to interview Chris to, to get her on the show to talk about this. So, Chris, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing fabulous. And I was so happy that um, Deb sent over that email so I could get a hold of the book here. And I'm not all the way through it yet. I am a very slow reader. I must tell you that. I am one of the ones that, <laughs> um, you know, I can't and sit it's, there. And, and, it's and not a short, it's not a short book either. So. It's not. But, and, you know, forgetting. but it's a book that you got to. <laughs> That that you can't, you know, there are, you know, there's a lot of books out there, you know, thriller books and things that you can kind of fluff over some stuff because you're like, yeah, 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 got it, got it, got it. But this, this is not one of them. You got to go to the words on the page because the history and the web and and everything that you've kind of put together, um, you know, and and I, and I love the main character. Um, now I'm going to say, how do you pronounce it? I, I was just uh. saying. Go ahead. Her her name is uh so her name is Welsh. Her first name is Welsh, and it's pronounced Karis. Karis, okay. Because I was just saying, I was just saying cars. <laughs> I was yeah. just saying cars, Jones. <laughs> so Karis, okay. Yeah, but um, but yeah, very very unique character. So why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about the ghost manuscript? So the book is about Karis Jones, who is a rare book authenticator. She's a young woman. She works for a rare book. Uh, she works for an auction house uh, in Boston, and her job is basically to authenticate the provenance and the history of rare manuscripts. Her specialty is Dark Age manuscripts. Now, the era of the Dark Ages is, you know, anybody who uh, loves history knows it. The Dark Ages are called the Dark Ages because the um, the Anglo-Saxons sort of raided Europe during that period, and a lot of the very literate people of the time who uh, lived and and wrote uh, copiously filled the world with lots and lots of, of of literature and and poems and history and letters. And then when the Dark Ages came. Uh, the Anglo-Saxons were were not literate, and suddenly all of that wonderful creativity stopped very quickly. And so there's not much really that ever came, not much literature or writing that came out of that time period. So there's not many books from the Dark Ages. So when they when they surface, they're very they're very well known. And um, so Karis basically her job is to make sure that the books that do surface are actually accurate. So she helps collectors through this auction house, collect rare Dark Age manuscripts. And her biggest client is a man named John Harper. He's a tech billionaire. She's never actually met him. She's done most of the work that she's done with him through the mail, through email, through letters. Um, she gets a call, or she, she her boss, uh, who's a, a fairly unsavory character, uh, says to her, you know, we have this huge dark age library that we're going to be selling in a private sale. And I want you to go and authenticate the library. And she finds out that it is John Harper's library that is being sold by his son because he has been um, committed to an insane asylum. Uh, She's obviously, you know, horrified because he has the largest dark age British, largest collection of British dark age manuscripts on planet earth. So she goes to the home, and while she's there, through a series of circumstances, she is told that there is a manuscript in the library that is completely off the grid, which is very unusual for for these very rare books, uh, that 
supposedly reveals the location of the tomb of King Arthur. Um, and John Harper, who she visits in the insane asylum, tells her that he is convinced that this manuscript was written by King Arthur's personal priest. Um, and he asks her to pursue the clues in the manuscript to find the tomb, and in exchange, he will give her the rest of his entire library, and she'll basically be set up for the rest of her life um, uh, as as a librarian to this rare collection. Uh, needless to say, as the book unfolds, it turns out that there's other people who are looking for this manuscript as well. Mayhem ensues. No, that's why that's where the thriller comes in. <laughs> Otherwise, it would just be her. <laughs> there's always exactly. got to be someone else lurking in the weeds, doesn't there? Exactly right. Exactly right. Now, the the one thing that I, I'm always fascinated about um, is is being able to kind of write a character that, of course, you know, she's a rare book authenticator. She's not used to, you know, mystery and have to go out and, and deal with, you know, things and people that want to hurt her. So you're putting her in a very unique situation to have to kind of deal with these things. So how, uh, what kind of challenge was it for you to kind of have to do that um, and make that believable because she's not FBI and, you know, CIA and has all these wonderful skills like that? Well, so, you know, thank you for asking that question because it really gets to the heart of what motivated me to even write this book. I love books like this. I've always loved books like this. But one thing that always, as a, as a, as a woman in the world, I always say to myself, well, you know, what if I don't have, like, a specially trained eagle who swoops in and, like, knocks guns out of people's hands or, you know, was a former Navy SEAL or, you know, spy or, or, or you know, operative of some kind? What if I'm just a person, just a regular old person going about my day-to-day life and I get sucked into something that that propels me on a path where suddenly, I, suddenly I'm facing these dangers and these challenges that are – you know, so famous in the thriller genre, but I don't, but I'm just a, just a plain old person just trying to figure out how the heck do I get through this. And so I really put myself in her position and I threw her into all these circumstances that, um, you know, in another type of thriller, you know, she might have to like deploy some of her, you know, Navy SEAL training or her spy training or something, but all she, she's just a, a, a very educated woman uh, with a with a with a very knowledgeable skill base in terms of her ability to uh, understand books, but that's about it. So she she kind of has to figure it out as she goes along, as just a normal person with the the resources a normal person would have. And so that was actually really fun because I kind of felt like I it, it, I mean I think writers always sort of put themselves in their characters' shoes, but but that was sort of how the book evolved. It was like what would I do like as this what would I do if I was faced with right. this circumstance? Right. So you know, fun. I mean, it was really yeah, fun. And, you know, and Harlan Coburn and, and Joseph Fender are the two that really come to mind that that really do that well. Also, um, you know, they they kind of do the, you know, the the normal person in extraordinary situations. Um, so yeah, but then the one thing though that I also love about, um, you know, so far, of course, is the history. Because the Dark Ages and the medieval times and, you know, the King Arthur and, you know, uh, that's one of my number one top three mysteries is, you know, King Arthur um, exists, did not exist, you know, was Arthur even his name and, you know, the, of all those things. So 
what is it about King Arthur that, that, that kind of got you excited to want to write about? So um, my husband is from Wales, and he and I have spent quite a bit of time there. And I had no idea that the Arthurian legend was so rich in the uh, in Wales. And, and you know, there's, geogra- there's geographical features that are named like Arthur's, Arthur's Seed and, um, you know, the Cornwall region, which isn't Wales, it's England, but the Cornwall region is where Tintinjil is and where people believe that that, that was the site of the round table. And, and it's just, it's, and also just the, the the countryside of Wales. It's just like you feel like you're in Arthurian legend, just walking walking through the hillsides. And so, I just started researching that myth and the historical underpinnings of it, because almost all myths has some basis in fact. And it was really fascinating to me to go back and read through all the different theories about who this person was. And there are hundreds of theories as far as who who was either the inspiration for the legend of King Arthur or who could legitimately Arthur have been based on what we know from kind of the most ancient documents that, that are as close to that time period when he was supposed to have lived as possible. Um, so that I, I just found... You know, I, I'm a uh, I'm a journalist by trade, and so uh, most of the plot uh, of this book was based on all the years of research I did um, on rare books, on the Arthurian legend, on um, you know the how books travel through time, um, how legends change and morph and and get told and retold, and how knowledge is lost and and found again. Um, so that was all just, just so so interesting to me. But the more I, the more I got into the legend of King Arthur and the historical underpinnings of his existence, um, the more it kept tracking back to Wales over and over again. So it kind of it kind of perpetuated uh, itself over time. And this book took a really really long time to write, partially because I was busy sort of earning a living as well as working on the book like most authors do. So. Um, it, it was fun because the, the research really propelled the plot. Um, and every time I found some cool new little detail or historically accurate thing, it just seemed to sort of point me in a very clear direction of how this plot was supposed to go. It was almost like I was uncovering the plot through my research over time. It was really fun. It was really fun. Cool. Yeah, you know, and it has to be fun, doesn't it? I mean, because if, it, if it's not fun and it's a chore, then it is work, and then it's just not fun because you already work. <laughs> you know, you already yeah, have a job. I, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you know, it's not all like, you know, the muses singing on my shoulder. Um, there's, pl- there's plenty of slog. There's plenty of like, oh, my God, I can't believe I have to throw away 25, 30, 40, 50 pages because it just isn't working. Um, there's a lot of, oh, I think this might suck. I just, I have, you know, I don't know. I don't know whether it's even worth all this time. And well, it's your debut. I mean, so it's even scarier. Yeah, it's, it's, it is scary. But, you know, I got to say, I've had, um, I've, I've had amazing readers, friends, and sort of professional readers along the way who've, who've just been super encouraging. They love the characters. They love the story. Um, and, you know, some of them are like, you know, I hate, you know, King Arthur or whatever. It's such a, you know, cliche, but, but I but I liked this version of it because it wasn't really about King Arthur. It was about the search 
for knowledge and the search for truth in um, in the midst of history, you know. Um, and the character of Karis and her search and her uh, the challenges she faces and the dangers she faces and the bad guys and uh, who, who who I've created um, that that are chasing her and and um, the the family relationships that she has and um, you know there's a lot more to this than just the sort of you know search for the holy not even holy grail but the no, holy grail no, it's not the holy grail yeah it's different yeah yeah now uh, series or no series so I. The way the book ends, when you when you get there, you'll see that we definitely I definitely have an idea that this is not the end of the story. I didn't think so. <laughs> it, it didn't have the feel of a standalone. You know, you can well, you can kind of feel standalones, and right now I, I never I didn't I was starting to get the feeling I was like this doesn't have a standalone feel. I think this could be a series. Yeah, well, but, I mean, I love her. I love this character so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm living with her for about 14 years now, from her inception to the day the book will be coming out. Um, she's not going to leave me alone. She talks to me and tells me what she wants to do next. And um, the book will be the book ends on uh, you know one part of the plot is resolved, another part is not and it and sort of takes off into a new direction and we will probably be coming back to 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 see Karis again uh as she wrestles with the new the new challenges that she's left with at the end of that book and so yeah i mean i i envisioned her as someone that we would get to spend time with over and over again now you know now you know we talked about Karen's being um you know, average, ordinary, and extraordinary situations. So, you know, that's kind of how you, you know, you wrote her. But what about the villain? What about the what about the what about the other side? What were you, you know, trying to make sure that you know you had included in there? Well, the 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 underpinnings of the villain is that he is a he calls himself an antiquities re uh reinvestment trust basically he traffics in illegal antiquities but he has his his legitimate persona his his sort of legitimate public persona that he cultivates is as a in a cultural antiquity repatriation expert now i don't know if you like i'm a big wonk about all this stuff now i'm just fascinated by it how uh-huh. for instance like the elgin marbles marbles at um the british museum uh, a British explorer went to um, to Egypt, took these beautiful marble statues from uh, a historical site in that country, brought it, brought them back with him back to the UK, and said, "Look what I found!" And they put it in the British Museum, and and it's one of their most popular um, artifacts that they have. They're incredibly ancient, and Egypt's like, "Wait a minute, that those belong to us." And so a repatriation expert, and this has happened more and more in, in museums around the world, uh, will come in and help to negotiate the return of something that's considered cultural patrimony or like a, a part of, the, of a nation's history that has been, for whatever reason, taken out of that country um, uh, and, and put on display by either in a museum or into a private collection of some kind. And increasingly especially during the wars of the, of the Middle, in the Middle East over the last 
15 to 20 years, sure. um, the, the terror, you know, the, the insurgents and um, militants and violent groups have, have actually made a lot of money by pillaging historic landmarks like Palmyra and taking these incredibly ancient antiquities and selling them into the black market where they can make a lot of money off it. And it helps to fuel their further war, act, war and terrorist activities. And around the world, these incredibly rare antiquities are finding their way into private collections. And these people are not supposed to own this stuff. I mean, no. uh, it, it, they're, they, they're, they belong with the country of origin. Um, but there's Which is why you don't find out about that stuff until somebody dies and then a family member right. finds it has no idea what they have and then, then they find exactly. out that so-and-so had it. But the problem is that generations like us, we might not be able to get to see that because that person might not die or we might not be able to find that out before you know right. we're gone. And you know you and and you see you know as is in my book the the source of this ancient manuscript that Karis is uh given that is full of the clues to the King Arthur tomb uh ends up coming from uh from the original author into a monastery in Egypt which is then, and this is, again, one thing that I want to mention about this book is that every, everything in this book either did, did is based on a, a real-life historical event or something that evidence and history indicate could have happened. So um, one of the things that um, I know some of my reviewers have said is, oh, this thing at the end of the book is a tremendous coincidence. I'm like, no, actually, you know what? Historically, it wasn't a coincidence. It actually, <laughs> there's evidence that it actually did happen. Uh, it's, it was never proven that it did, but there's a lot of evidence that it that it could have. And, and, and some people believe that it did, but that's a whole other thing. And I won't spoil the plot by telling you what that twist is. I'll leave, I'll leave you to, to get there. Um, okay. But yeah, I mean, we we have. Um, but your original question was about these, this villain, and so I, I, he was based on this idea that this guy is kind of playing both sides against the middle. On the one hand, publicly he's this really well respected repatriation expert, but he's also playing the backside because he sets people. He know, you know, he's working with. A character, another character in the book to sort of get these antiquities into the black market and they're making a ton of money doing that. Um, and then when one pops up in a museum, there he can like swoop in and be like, oh yes, I will help you know the country of origin repatriate, the, repatriate this ancient magnificent artifact and, and then he gets a, a nice chunky repatriation fee. It sounds pretty wonky, but I, my hope is that people will find that intriguing. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to kind of see how, how you kind of have this thing wrapped up. Yeah, you know, it was, you know, endings are always really hard, aren't they? Um, well, you know, I always kind of ask, and here's a question I'll ask you, um, even though this is your debut book, but you've read a ton, and this is not, and people see your background, it's not like you're, you're new to writing, I mean, let's face it, but um, the beginning or the end which do you think is the most difficult to write for the for, as a, for the author? But which do you think has the biggest impact on the reader? Well, I mean, the ending. I mean, obviously, I, I, I feel like the begin. Yeah, for me, um, for me huh, personally, I'm kind of I'm a little opposite. I always think it's the beginning because I because well, I, 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 I sucks you in, but at the end yeah, of the day, yeah, because if it doesn't, I might not get book. to the ending. 
That's true, but but at the end of the day, you can write the best beginning in the world, but if that ending doesn't give you that 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 thing, that sort of emotional response, that either a satisfying ending or an unsatisfying ending that is still so compelling you're never, ever going to forget it, like that's to me what makes the difference between a, a a great book and a book that you're like okay you know I enjoyed reading well, it but I, but I'm not going to like wake up in the middle of the night thinking right. about it and you know and I've heard and and I and that's what a lot of people always say whenever I kind of have this conversation and then I kind of ask them this question because I do agree and to to some sense but then I'm like but here's one here's a question did you ever read the Dark Tower series by Stephen King yes what did you think of that ending you know. I, I I love everything he does, so I'm not. No, I mean, we don't love like everything. Ever... Desperation, insomnia, well, regulators. I mean, he was a little wacky. He he, he, he pumped a lot of words. Do you remember there was a? Really I think when he got hit by that car, I think his brain went fried for like seven years. Right. Well, I think he. I think there was a really funny um, skit on Saturday Night Live like years ago, and Jim John Belushi played played Stephen King uh, in doing an interview while also writing a book. Like, he's mm-hmm. seriously, he's, like, sitting at the typewriter typing as oh, fast God, that'd as be possible funny. while also, it's super funny. And that'd if you funny. can find it on YouTube, you should look it up. But, okay. like, I definitely feel like there was some stuff that he was just, he was more on autopilot, but he more than right. compensates. Right, and I don't like. I mean, you know what? And 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 I and I think it's okay that you don't like everything that you know your favorite author does, even like your favorite band. I always talk about like music. You know, I mean, let's just say you're a fan of Death Leopard. I mean, it's not like you like Slang or X for crying out loud. I mean, those albums were horrible. So uh, it's kind of the same thing. But the reason why I always bring that up is because that story was so great. I mean, you know, Wizards and Glass was a little off, but you know what? It still fit. But you go from the beginning to end, that journey got you sucked all the way, and you had it, and you were there, and that journey got you there. And then you got to the ending, and you're like, what the hell? But you know what? That ending wouldn't stop me from reading the books again. Right. And, I mean, there's a certain there's a certain thing to be said for, you know, books like life being really about the journey. But, but books aren't life. Books are books, and fiction True. is fiction. And, and we're not you supposed know. to, like, you know – it, it, it's not supposed to be a replica of life. Right. It's supposed to have the narrative arc, and it's supposed to, yep. you know, we're telling a story, a beginning, middle, end. You know, right. once upon a time, somebody somebody wanted something, but they couldn't get it because X, so they Y. Like, that's yeah. that's what we do, right? And, and he just kind of kept it wrapped in the loop, and you're like... yeah. Like, well, and that's, you know, and I wrestled, I wrestled so strongly with the ending of this book because... Kind of like the I, I really, yeah. I mean, in a way, it kind of is a little bit like that. But I, I mean, I, I really feel like we wrap up, we we, we wrap up the main plot, but yeah. we, but there's a new, there's a whole new story out there that's waiting to be written based on the right. stuff that happens in like the very end of the book. So, so some people you know, loved it. Some people that I've, you know, some of the reader reviews so far, which of course I read all of them because it's my debut novel and I'm obsessed oh, yeah. with what what readers are thinking. Um, some are like, oh, I found it so, like, oh, it was. I feel ripped off because, you know, it wasn't all wrapped up with a bow. And I'm like, well, 
Well, you know, and the stand know. was kind of the same way with him. I mean, he just had the nuclear bomb just go off, and that was kind of it. And it was kind of like, oh, you know, I think he could have done a little better than that. But all right, I get you. Yeah, I mean, so, I no, mean, but, after but the, the journey you get was still that, but he, but you get through that behemoth, and you kind of like yeah. sometimes because like, I because this is the thing. You know, when I interviewed him, and then I understood more because I couldn't understand like the stand, and. And I was like, there's no way, because a lot of young authors that are just starting out, what's the one thing that they always kind of say? Oh, my God, this ending's going to blow you away. It's like they think about the ending first, mm-hmm. and then they start writing the story. And you can tell that King doesn't do that because of the fact there's no way that he sat there and said, oh, my God, and then the nuclear bomb's going to go off and that's it. No. Yeah. There's no yeah. way that's how he thought that book was yeah. going to end. He just, he organically, and so he, he does, he organically, he does not outline. He's an organic writer. He just kind of lets it Yeah, well, that he's a come. pantser, as they say. You yeah. Know, they say there's the plotters yeah. and the pantsers, and he's definitely a pantser. And, and what are Although, you? Although, you know, you know, I'm a, oh, God, I'm so, I'm such a plotter. Okay, but now is that because of journalism? Say, because you had to kind of do things that way, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I... I see a I'm, lot of journalists uh, are plotters. A lot of yeah, journalists and, are plotters. And I also think that's because... And I wrote a... I wrote a um, excuse me. I wrote an essay about this, about how being a journalist has actually brought uh, a unique mix of, of benefits and, uh, and uh, liabilities. Uh, one of the liabilities is that uh, I time is money in my world, and the idea of just sitting down and like you know basking in the muse and letting the you know the words go and writing and writing and just to see the music it's like that is not how I roll um I'm like, okay, today I've got to write a hundred pa- you know fifty pages I've got to cover this scene, this scene, and this scene and i I kind of always like to have in my head the idea that I know where I'm going. I don't like I I can't even get my head around the idea of just writing to write and just seeing where the characters take me now with that said I start out with a plot which th- in this book that plot changed probably 25 times before I got to the right. end of the book. Yeah. 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 So you um, but that's because the characters Yeah, and that's because the characters tell you what they want to do. Like exactly. I I remember waking I remember waking up in the middle of the night, and one of the characters was, like, screaming at me, like, I'm the bad guy. And I was right. like, he hadn't been the bad guy up until that point. And then I was like, oh, my God, that's so obvious. And so, then so you, you know, I had to re- rewrite basically the whole the whole ending plot because this, this character was like, nope, uh, it's me. And I was like, fuck, I didn't even see that. Exactly. But you're right. It is you. You know, um, so so that was that's actually really fun. I'd never experienced anything like that before as a journalist because usually, you know, you're a journalist. You're writing Factual. despite what you may hear. You're actually writing about facts that are provable and and demonstrable, and you've done your oh research and you know where oh, you know where the story's going to go. <laughs> but um, but with, oh, with fiction, you know, you you can let it take you where it wants to go, which is really sure. was a really idea. really wonderful experience. For me, all idea of fiction to take you out of the reality. Mm-hmm. So that was it was it was such a um, such a great thing. But I tell you, you know, a lot of people say, "Oh, I can't wait to quit my job so I can write fiction full time." And I would lose my mind if I wrote fiction full time because I don't think I could. I, I need to be. I, I like being grounded in the, the uh, in the fact, in the here and now, in the reality, as a counterpoint to the sort of flights of imagination. So. Um, 
I've well, got you a know, couple. I think you're, you know, this this book. You never know. You could be on your way to uh, writing. You know, doing a little bit more writing uh, fiction and a little less uh, journalism writing. You just never know. Not saying you're going to stop for good, but you, know, you never know what can happen. <laughs> but hey, I, um, oh. Go ahead. I, I, I would love I would love to be able to do um, more fiction. I've got two more books that are uh, percolating right now, so I'm going to be course. diving into those as soon as the book tour is over for this. Hey, writing your first book and getting it published is like getting your first tattoo. It's addictive, and you want another one. <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah. So, well, Chris, hey, I want to thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. But I want you to go ahead and give out your social media and your website information so everybody knows where to go. Uh, well, uh, I'm on Twitter at Chris underscore Friezewick. Um I'm at Facebook at Chris Friezewick Author. And my webpage is ChrisFriezewickAuthor.com, where you can read all about the ghost manuscript. And that you is could also Chris just type in the ghost manuscript. It is and that's Chris, Chris with a K. That's Chris with a K, and it's F-R-I-E-S-W-I-C-K. So K-R-I-S is uh, first name with a K. Make sure you know that. That is correct. That is all yeah. correct. It's been a pleasure talking to you. It's been Thank great. So I love much. it. Yeah, thanks it's so great. much for having me on. I can't and if you're at Thriller Fest, we'll, uh, we'll say hi, and we'll, uh, we'll, and we'll say hi to each other. And I can't, I, I'd love to hear what you think when you get to the end of the book. Sounds good. Well, Take you have care. a good one, then, and we'll talk soon. Okay, thank you. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye.